brothers and sisters. As we continue in God's word today, we are walking together on a journey through the gospel of Mark um, from the theme, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Suffering Servant, and Savior of Sinners. That's our series through the gospel of Mark, and we are still in Mark chapter 7. Verses 14 to 23. Today, in what is part two, actually, of this message, this episode, we continue the message that God cares more about truth than tradition. God cares more about the condition of the human heart than about the ritual cleanliness of human hands. The God cares more for righteousness than mere ritual. Let us pick up with the story right here in Mark chapter 7. And I'm going to read verses 14 to 23 today, assuming that those of you who've been with us, you Remember the context from verses 1 to 13 of Mark chapter 7. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, parenthetically, Jesus declared all foods clean. Remember that the context and the issue had to do with the religious leaders accusing Jesus' disciples and Jesus of, well, eating food with unwashed and therefore defiled, as they would call it, hands, and violating the traditions of the elders as if, they were, as if the disciples were violating the word of God, which they weren't. So this is Jesus' Part of Jesus' response. He went on, verse 20. He went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within. Out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality. Theft. Murder. Adultery. Greed. Malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Hmm. Stop right there. What goes into a person is not what defiles them. It's what comes out of a person that defiles them. This parable or proverb, as, 
as we discussed last week, it could, it's a parable, and the scripture refers to it as a parable, but also can be understood as a proverb, a saying. This, this parable of Jesus in verse 15 might seem simple enough to us. But his disciples were still struggling to wrap their minds around its meaning according to verse 17. When Jesus was finished addressing the crowd, verse 17 says that after he had entered the house, the disciples had questions about his parable. Now, we are not told exactly what questions the disciples asked about the parable. As we mentioned last time, Jesus focused from the inside out, not the outside in. This approach, brothers and sisters, was a radical reorientation of what it meant to be holy and acceptable and pleasing to God in our hearts. It completely upended the worldview of the disciples of Jesus and the detractors of Jesus because it focuses not on the hands, but on the heart. The heart, referring to the inner person. The hands can be seen, but the heart cannot be seen except from our actions. His disciples simply don't get it. They do not understand what Jesus means, although they heard what he said. At some point, Jesus leaves the public square and enters the privacy of the house where his disciples could get further explanation of what Jesus meant by his parable. Now, listen, brothers and sisters, follow me carefully, because there's an important aspect here about Jesus' ministry that we should notice at this point. And here it is. Discipleship happens not only in public spaces, but also in private spaces places. Discipleship happens not only in public spaces, but also in private spaces, private places. What Jesus teaches in public, he explains further in private with his disciples. Let us remember that Mark chapter 4, in fact, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, if you would. Let's turn back from Mark 7, back to Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 33. Let us remember that Mark chapter 4, verses 33 and following, told us that as a routine practice, Jesus would address the public with parables. But in private, he would explain much more to his close followers. Here it goes. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand, speaking of the general public and populace. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. You may remember, brothers and sisters, sometime recently when we walked together through this passage. You see, away from the dynamics of the crowds, Jesus and the disciples 
spend much more time in deeper discussion about the Word of God and the Kingdom of God. This is how disciples grow in the faith and in their understanding. Yes, from the public spaces, but also in the private places, publicly and privately. They spend time and effort learning from the master and his teachings. The private, informal setting is ideal for developing disciples. In the public spaces and places, speaking to the crowds and to the general populace, Jesus is preaching the word to them as much as they could handle, but he's doing so in a way that helps to illustrate the word of God on their level. And the most effective way for him to do it was to do it in the form of parables, many different parables, to help them, the public, see what he was saying. But then when he was in private with his disciples, he would expound upon the scriptures talk more deeply about the Word of God and go deeper into the deep things of the Word of God with the disciples in order to develop them in the faith, you see. Now, it wasn't, and let's not get the misconception, that Jesus was somehow shallow in public when he spoke to the crowds and deep in private when he spoke with his close followers. That, that, that would be a misconception. Jesus is deep wherever he goes and in whatever he says. He just communicates it uh, according, communicates truth according to the audience that he's addressing. So when he is addressing the general public and populace, he has to use parables, stories, illustrations, and other forms of communication to help them understand the deep truths that he's speaking about and that he himself embodies. He's never shallow with anybody that he is speaking to or preaching to, whether in public or in private. One of the challenges that the church in general faces in today's climate, particularly in the Western Hemisphere, and yes, in the United States of America, is that the general populace of people um, today, people are not trained to think too deeply about anything. And people are not trained to think very long about anything. In fact, everything in our world is fast paced. Almost everything. But that fast pace is not reflective totally of human nature. Yeah, there's some things we can do fast, we can learn fast, and we can process fast. Yes. But not everything. But yet we've been conditioned in this time in which we live to want everything now, to want everything fast. And when it comes to preaching and to public address to crowds of people, they want you to get to the point quickly. 
Why? So they can get out of there and get to wherever else they want to be going. The problem with that is you don't ever learn anything very deeply. <laughs> Nowadays, for many people who identify themselves as Christians, sitting through a 30-minute sermon or a 45-minute sermon, not to mention an hour-long sermon, is like torture. They don't ever give that much focused attention to anything else in their lives. They don't ever sit down and read the Bible for an hour or 45 minutes or 30 minutes. You can get your phone out right now and look at a brief sermonette of a video online or on the Bible app where somebody speaks for two or three minutes and they're done. The problem with that is, I'm not saying it's all bad, don't get me wrong. The problem though is that if that is your entire spiritual diet, then no wonder you are no stronger than you are. And no wonder that you are no more mature than you are. And no wonder your roots don't go, your spiritual roots don't go any deeper than they, than they are. These disciples had to spend time with Jesus. And when you read the Gospels comprehensively, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get the sense that time is always too short still. They spent three to three and a half years with Jesus, and it was all Jesus could do to get everything in that he was able to get into them, handed down to us in the scriptures and the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, how many of you, don't answer this question aloud, how many of you if, you, if someone gave you the assignment to read all four of the Gospels, would say, oh boy, that's a whole lot of reading. <laughs> but if you read the Gospels, you discover that that time was short. And Jesus was, found himself running out of time before he was to go to the cross, running out of time, trying to teach them as much as he could possibly teach them in that short time. So yes, Matthew with its, you know, its 28 chapters and Mark with its 16 chapters and Luke with its 24 chapters and John with its 21 chapters, you think that's long. No, it, it, it represents the three and a half years that Jesus walked on the earth, three and a half years. He who is eternal had three and a half years to disciple 12 men and prepare them for eternity, to do eternal work in three and a half years. You think that's long? That's not even as long as your, four, your average four-year college degree. And how many of you have a four-year college degree and then discovered that wouldn't be enough so you had to go back to school to graduate school? Think about it. We are so short and so shallow Yet we think we know more than we do and we think we are stronger than we are and we think we're further along than we are until something in life hits us. And God says, hello, wake up. <laughs> you don't know what maturity is yet. You're not there yet. That's how we are. 
Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Yes, I'm there. No, you're not. <laughs> you think you are. When God says, no, you got a ways to go. <laughs> Just speaking of the times in which we live to help us make the connections for the purpose of saying, you got to reorient your thinking because the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God will force you to reorient your thinking. You can't go short shrift and shallow with the Savior. You can't stay on the surface with God and think you are going to grow in your faith. No, you got to go deep and it requires time and yes, it requires effort and yes, it requires energy and yes, it requires money and yes, it requires, well, it's the cross. It's the embodiment of the cross. Discipleship is the embodiment of the cross. It's, it's death to self and to my selfish wants and desires and to my human flesh. And becoming alive to the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the things of God, it requires time. And more than time, effort, and more than effort, pain. It's not easy. Everything in our culture, um, secular and church, runs away from what I just said. That's why you can't get people to come to church anymore. They don't want to spend the time. They don't want to be, they don't want to be asked, required, or expected to invest anything that costs them anything, but they want the God who gave everything for them to save them, though they are not willing to acknowledge the cost that Jesus talked about that it would take to follow him in the first place. Too many of us in the church have this problem and need to repent of it in a hurry. If there's anything we need to do in a hurry is repent. <laughs> you ain't gonna grow in a hurry. You ain't gonna learn everything in a hurry. But one thing, you, one, thing, one thing the scripture makes clear to all of us that we need to do quickly and in a hurry is repent. Repentance. Now, not tomorrow. Tomorrow's not promised. The private informal setting is ideal for developing disciples. In this private setting, they can ask questions and dive deeper into the meaning of Jesus' messages. By the way, there's something else to notice about this. Jesus did not call a meeting in the house. He just went to the house. <laughs> Presumably, he's in Capernaum. He just went to the house. And going to the house, what did they do? They start asking him questions. They got in the house, they start asking him questions. This wasn't a meeting. In other words, we don't need a meeting to have discipleship. What did they do? They just asked Jesus questions. Well, that's the core and the heart of what discipleship is, asking Jesus questions, asking questions about the word of God, asking for the purpose of growing. Mm-hmm. So how many questions do you ask in order to help you grow? By the way, who are you asking? Who are you asking? 
most of you are not asking me. I don't hear from you. Unless there's a problem, unless there's a need. I wish somebody would call me with a Bible question. I don't remember the last time I got one. It may have been recent, but I can't remember. It comes so seldom. Nobody has time. We're all too busy. Well, I'm not. But too many of us are. That's what they did to Jesus. They bugged him. <laughs> they weren't bugging him. He didn't see it that way. He wanted them to do what they were doing. Ask, ask, you see. That's what they did. They had questions. Now, Jesus did get exasperated with them, as we'll see in a moment. Rightly so. But they were doing the right thing by asking. They did not understand. They sought an understanding. Too many of us don't seek an understanding. When we don't understand, we just leave. Because too often, ignorance is easier. For us in today's world, why? Because our minds get taken off on something else. Many of you, not five minutes after you leave this morning, your mind will be a thousand miles or meters away somewhere else. And by the end of the day, you won't half remember what happened this morning. That's the world in which you live. It is precisely what the devil wants to happen to you all the time when it comes to the word of God and the things of God. In this private setting, they can ask questions and dive deeper into the meaning of Jesus' messages. In Mark chapter 4, verse 10, if you're still there in Mark chapter 4, look at verse 10. Verse 10 reminds us of the importance of the private setting for discipleship. Mark chapter 4, verse 10 says this, And when he was alone, speaking of Jesus, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. This is crucial because these disciples are struggling to understand many things about Jesus and the kingdom of God. So there is no substitute for private, informal opportunities for disciples to grow in their understanding, you see. And by the way, we can have a discipleship meeting, and we should, and we have those. But discipleship is more, a meeting is formal. <laughs> it's in the informal, where we often find, along with the formal, but in the informal, where we often find, where we often grow in areas we were not expecting. Something can come up in private, informal conversation that couldn't come up in public, but that answers an issue in our soul. That's discipleship. That's how we grow. There is no substitute for the private, informal opportunities for disciples to grow in their understanding. The, the disciples' lack of understanding, by the way, is a recurrent theme throughout the Gospel of Mark. 
they, they just, over and over again, they just don't get it. <laughs> For example, if you're still in Mark chapter 4, look at verse 13. In Mark 4, 13, Jesus scolds his disciples over their failure to grasp his parable about the four types of soil. It's not as though they don't understand agriculture and farming. Of course they do. They're in an agrarian society, for crying out loud. It's not as though they couldn't conceptualize what Jesus was saying about the four types of soil. They could identify and understand what he was talking about, and yet they still didn't get it. They didn't get the spiritual truth and significance of what Jesus was teaching. So in Mark 4.13, Jesus says to them, Don't you understand this parable? Don't you understand this story, this illustration? How then will you understand any parable? <laughs> if you can't understand this and you live in the middle of an agrarian society, you deal, you see these things, you've grown up with them. If you can't understand this, how will you understand any parable or any illustration? Once again, now in Mark chapter 7, verse 18, where we are today, Jesus responds to the disciples with exasperation. Are you so dull? He asked. The, the English Standard Version translates it. Are you also without understanding? It's a little less blunt, isn't it? <laughs> the Greek word for dull literally means senseless, foolish, or without understanding, depending upon the context. For example, in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, this word refers to the darkening of the foolish hearts of unbelievers. Hmm. Here in Mark 7, 18, Jesus referred to the disciples as dull or without understanding. Now, listen, you know, there are times when we as humans, of course, can you know, get into the back and forth and, you know, talk to each other. And, you know, are you dumb? Don't you get it? Kind of a thing. We all can identify with this. And it's especially common among siblings, you know. Uh, it's very common, you know. But when Jesus says you're dull, <laughs> Uh, that's a little different. <laughs> you know, if my brother called me dull, I wouldn't care. <laughs> what does he know? <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. That's our attitude. You, you don't know that either. <laughs> but if Jesus calls me dull, I've got to push the pause button, sit up, and pay attention. <laughs> Why did these disciples have such difficulty comprehending the words and the works of Jesus? Why? By now they should have had better understanding than they were displaying. After all, these disciples were the ones of whom Jesus had said, Mark chapter 4, verse 11, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Remember? When we walked through that together, Jesus said, that the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, not to outsiders, to you. And yet, they were struggling to understand. 
Why? Hmm. Mark chapter 6, verse 52, gives us a clue in that it tells us that they did not understand about how Jesus had miraculously fed the multitudes and calmed the stormy waters because their hearts were hardened. Mm. Mark 6.52. There is, there is the clue to why, answering the question, why they can't seem to get it. Their hearts were hardened. The stubbornness of their human sinfulness kept their hearts from receiving and believing what they had witnessed with their own eyes and heard with their own ears. Hmm. They were like their ancestors from Old Testament scripture. Hardness of heart is a descriptive of a person who refuses to believe. Let us not be like the disciples who did not get what Jesus was teaching because of the hardness of their hearts. Psalm number 95 verse 7 says this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Actually, we should do the opposite. When we hear his voice, when we hear his word, we should soften our hearts so that his word can sink in. Not harden our hearts. When we hear the word, we must always respond with faith and obedience. See, remember, they were struggling. They, they, witnessed, they had witnessed Jesus back in Mark chapter 6 feed the multitudes miraculously. Then on top of that, they, had, they were out there struggling, you know, in the water, and Jesus came walking on the water. They saw it. They experienced it up close and in person. And they wouldn't believe what they were seeing. They wouldn't accept. They refused to accept what they themselves witnessed in person, you see. Hmm. When we hear the word, we need always to respond with faith and obedience. This is how understanding happens with God. Anyone who hears the word but refuses to receive it by believing it will never understand. In other words, without faith, it is impossible to understand the teachings of Jesus, even if you think you know what he's talking about. Too often they listened without trusting and believing the words of Jesus. When we fail to believe, our hearts become hardened. You see, these disciples were without understanding. But Christ does not want his followers to be without understanding. It is never God's will for us to be without understanding. 
If we are without understanding, it's man's will, not God's will. It's our issue, not God's. And we must always be humble enough to acknowledge it. This explains his exasperation with the disciples at this point because they should be able to comprehend what Jesus has said, but they still do not understand. But God wants us to understand. And what I just said is an understatement. It's the best, humanly speaking, that I could come up with in terms of words to communicate to us something of how much God wants us to understand. We don't understand just how much God wants us to understand, you see. So when we complain about not understanding, too often we complain in ignorance of the fact that God wants us to understand and know more than we can even imagine. So while we falsely get exasperated with God and exasperated with the church because we don't understand, it's actually the other way around. <laughs> the Lord, Jesus, is exasperated with us because we don't understand when we should, you see. And by his grace, we can comprehend the truths of the teachings of our Lord if we believe. Remember what I've said to you over and over again through the years, church, the key to understanding is obedience, faith and obedience. Without faith and obedience in response to God's word, you cannot understand. That's why Jesus was exasperated with them at this point. God had made available to them the secrets of the kingdom. The only reason they don't understand is because they won't believe it, even though they see it with their own eyes. You see, this goes to the issue uh, the fact, uh, the old saying, I'm sure you've probably heard it, um, that seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. It may take time and patience, but God's grace is sufficient to enable us to comprehend spiritual truth. And if we ask the Lord to help us understand, over time, he will help us to come to understand. See, there's the question. Have you asked? I didn't ask you, have you complained about not understanding? Everybody's done that at some point or another. Perhaps every disciple has done that at some point or another. Now, I didn't ask you about complaining about what you didn't understand. That doesn't accomplish anything. Have you asked God to help you understand? In other words, have you prayed? Asking is praying. Have you prayed for understanding? And have you prayed and asked for understanding with the intent to obey when you understand? For some of us, we have trouble understanding because we don't have any intention or we haven't committed ourselves to obey 
what we're supposed to be understanding. If you got to decide whether you're going to obey God's word, whether you're going to obey after you understand, you'll never understand in the first place. Obedience, faith and obedience come first and are the key to understanding, not the other way around. Why? Because faith and obedience are matters of the heart. Not merely matters of the mind or the ability of one to comprehend, to read, to understand. Faith and obedience are matters of the heart. If, if the posture and the attitude of your heart is not right in the first place, then you're not ready to receive and understand the truths of God's word. But God's grace, nevertheless, is sufficient to enable us to comprehend his spiritual truth. And if we ask God to help us, he will. You have not because you ask not. You have no understanding because you haven't asked. Jesus does not allow exasperation with his disciples to ruin a teachable moment, though, you know. He continues in verses 18 and 19. Don't you see? that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them. For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. Mm. That almost makes too much sense <laughs> in, light of what, in light of the controversy that they're in the middle of right here that Jesus has had to deal with. <laughs> In a manner of speaking, it almost, it's almost like it makes too much sense. Here is how Jesus explains the first part of his parable from verse 15, where he said, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. He gives a simple biological reason for why eating physical food cannot spiritually defile anyone. <laughs> There's a biological answer for it. It's not deep philosophical, it's biological. Eating physical food cannot spiritually defile anyone. The food does not go into their heart, but into their stomach. And through the process of digestion, exits the body. <laughs> Now, I reckon that all of us can understand what I just said. Food cannot affect the spiritual condition of the human heart. And mere outward religious rituals cannot purify the spiritual heart of a person. Mere outward religious rituals, like in this particular case, like ancient Jewish ceremonial hand-washing, it cannot purify the spiritual heart of a person. You can go through the motions of religious ritual, but this in itself does not mean your heart is acceptable to God. It's the true attitude of your heart that matters to the Lord. At the end of verse 19, the gospel writer Mark offers a brief editorial explanation 
in order to clarify for his Roman readers, remember the Gospel of Mark is originally written to the believers at Rome. Because that's that was where Mark, John Mark, and the apostle Peter were located. <coughs> Excuse me, when this gospel was written, and Mark was writing to the Roman Christians. So here at the end of verse 19, Mark offers an editorial explanation in order to clarify for his Roman readers what Jesus' parable meant for them. Mark wrote parenthetically, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. In declaring these things, Jesus establishes a whole new order for his disciples. The old order was built on the law of Moses and a series of man-made traditions of the Jews. But the new order is based on the arrival of Jesus the Messiah and the kingdom of God. The old dietary rules and regulations that were part of the old covenant no longer apply because Jesus, the Son of God, has authorized a new covenant. In fact, he himself is the new covenant. Jesus then has authority over the law of Moses and over every other tradition of men because he is the Son of God. Now, now there would, there would be no more clean and unclean foods. There would only be clean or unclean hearts. In a similar manner, the old life we had no longer applies because Jesus has given us new life, new hope. A new standing with God through him and a new inner person. You see, there's only clean or unclean hearts now. As I hurry to a close. <clears throat> Next, Jesus explains the second part of his parable in verse 20 here. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. <laughs> So it's not what goes into people that can defile them. It's what comes out of people that can defile them. In other words, from the inside out, not the outside in. Jesus proceeds in verses 21 and 22 to illustrate his point with a catalog of sins which demonstrate defilement originating from within the human heart. He says this, For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Hmm. Hmm. Now, brothers and sisters, the Lord begins this category, if you will, with evil thoughts. It's not, not what 
Not from the outside in, from the inside out. So he begins this catalog of sins with evil thoughts. The, the reason is because every sin listed in this catalog begins in the human heart with evil thoughts. Now, I, I don't have the time today to go through the catalog, through the list of vices. That'll have to wait. But let me finish off by saying these things today, for today. Again, this was so revolutionary about the new worldview Jesus taught. Everything begins with the spiritual attitude of the human heart or the inner person. This is fulfilled in the Old Testament prophetic promise of Jeremiah 31-33, in which the Lord said, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Jesus came to transform our hearts before Almighty God. Hmm. He came to transform our hearts. I'll pause there. But there is more to say, and by God's grace, we'll pick up with it next Sunday. But, but he came to transform our hearts in fulfillment of the promises of the word of God through the Old Testament prophets. That God would write his word on our hearts. He'd write his word on the hearts of the redeemed, on the hearts of his people and his children. You see, salvation is about a transformation of the heart brought about by a change in our standing before God because of Jesus, the Son of God, and what he did on our behalf on the cross. You see. Because what he did brings transformation in our standing before God and transformation from within in the attitude of our hearts so that we don't waste our lives in the empty ritualistic practice of religion. No, no, no. No, the gospel has transformed us from the inside out, changed our standing with God from guilty, wicked, lost, sinner, to child of God, adopted into the family of God with a new hope with a new faith, with a new future, a new standing, and a new inner person. Even though that inner person of us still struggles with the old outer person, if you will, you know. But the old outer person, the old sinful nature has been given the death blow by Jesus on the cross of Calvary. And the victory is ultimately ours because the victory was his not only at the cross of Calvary, but in the empty tomb when God raised him from the dead on the third day. You see, what we do as the church is not empty ritual. When we come together, we come to worship 
We don't do it just because it's a habit or just because it's some sort of practice or simply for social reasons. No, we come together for spiritual reasons. We come together because we have been transformed by the blood of Jesus. We come together because we have been saved to worship and exalt the name of the Lord Jesus and to glorify God our Father in heaven. Because everything has changed for us. Everything has changed within us. And everything has changed in our status before God because of him. Because of him, I have a totally new inner person. That's why I don't like to do things I used to do before I was saved. Even if I stumble at times and do things or say things that are sinful, that I shouldn't say, or that is a throwback to a habit or habits I had, I don't like it. I mean, I hate it. That's what I mean when I say I don't like it. <laughs> Why? Because I'm not the same inner person. Jesus has created me anew by his precious blood. And the good news also is that we, if we confess our sins, when we do sin, and we do, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see? Oh boy, that's the power of the gospel lived out in the life of the Christian believer. So, so as, I, as I come to a close, remember, Jesus is all about the heart, not merely about the hands. About the inner person, not simply the external or outer person. And that salvation deals with us from the inside out, not the outside in, if you will. Jesus, the gospel of Jesus begins on the inside. The transformation begins within because the transformation is eternal, not temporal, not physical, not limited to time. In other words, we are saved for eternity. And our salvation is eternal, not temporary, eternal. And God be praised for all of his goodness. Now, brothers and sisters, I hope and I pray that God's word today not only deepens your spiritual discipleship and walk with God, but deepens your faith and encourages and inspires you to search and seek the word of God for yourself and to ask the questions that will help you grow in your faith, whether you ask the Lord in prayer, whether you ask your pastor, whether you consult reliable materials, whatever the case may be. Keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. And God will always answer. Just remember this. God responds on his terms and in his time, not ours. So when you ask, or when you keep asking, keep patiently waiting, for God is faithful.
Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the, the powerful and deep lessons of discipleship in your word. In this episode, Lord, where Jesus interacts with his disciples and works to help them grow in their understanding. Thank you, O oh God, for helping us to grow in our understanding of you, in our understanding of your word. Oh God, we thank you for the redeeming power of your word. We thank you that truth triumphs over tradition and that righteousness is far more important than mere human ritual and that you have called us to have clean hearts that lead to clean hands. Thank you, O oh Father, for your grace and mercy to us today. May your word accomplish your purpose in every one of our souls. We pray, O oh God, for the soul of the sinner who has, not who has not repented and believed the gospel, that right now by the power of the Holy Spirit and, and the word of God, that the, that the soul of the lost person will be convicted and and that they will, he or she will repent and believe the gospel. Trust you, Lord Jesus, even now. And for every Christian believer, oh God, help us to remember what we have heard, to rehearse it in our minds and in our hearts, and to not lose it once we leave this place. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. May, the, may your word fall on fertile soil in each one of our hearts today. Amen.